Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Today, in honor of Halloween, my colleague Carlos Munoz brings us to a haunted house in the town of Johnston, where this one guy has been scaring the heck out of Rhode Islanders for almost 20 years. Michael DeCesare is the creator of Deadly Fantasies, Silent Nightmares, a spooky experience he operates out of his own home, all for free. It's one night only, once a year, on Halloween, that's it. We'll go behind the scenes with Michael after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm Carlos Munoz, and I'm here with Michael DeCesare at his home in Johnston, Rhode Island, where he runs Deadly Fantasies, Silent Nightmares. Michael, thanks for letting us visit your home haunt. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate you spending some time with me today. Can you tell me a little bit about where we are right now? Okay, so as you said, we're in Johnston, Rhode Island, Ten Kanacha Trail, and right now we're currently in my house, and I'm going to uh, walk you through my haunted house that uh, we do here every year on Halloween night for the community. Can you tell us um, a little bit about the background of your haunted house? Uh, the haunted house started 19 years ago as a bet between my neighbor who lives across the street and I as to who can make the scarier haunted house for the kids that came trick-or-treating. This area has always been good for trick-or-treaters. So from that year, uh, I won. It was a fun experience. I've always loved Halloween, but this doing it that year gave something a little bit special. And after that, we decided to, uh, of course, with my wife's support, grow the haunted house year after year, adding props and scenes to it, to where it is today, 19 years later. It's completely free. For the community, I do it for the community. I've been very blessed in life, and this is my way of giving back to the community. 
as something for them to come enjoy have a, a good time for a few minutes and you know get a good scare out of themselves what is this experience like for people when they when they come in through the uh through the uh, dark entryway that you have set up there kind of looks like a, a black tunnel what do they come out to so the experience um is is unique i like to think that we do old time scares we don't have a lot of fancy props and animatronics because I am a home haunter. I don't have the budget that the professional people do. I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars. I wish I did. But when they get here, they get a very unique experience. And the best compliments I get is when they come out and they come back to see me at the front and tell me how wonderful of an experience it was and how much better it was for them than the ones they actually pay for. Okay, now is this a haunted house or a haunted yard? Well, I consider it a haunted attraction, let's put it that way, because yes, there are things that are out in the open, but there's also buildings that I have built that they have to walk through to go through scene, scene by scene. So when you're not a zombie or a demon, what do you do in your normal life? Uh, by trade, I'm a food microbiologist, but right now I am the technical director for Swift Prepared Foods out in Colorado, preparing the R&D and the food safety programs for a new Italian meats processing facility that we're building in Missouri. So I make sure that everything that we will be producing meets USDA regulations and is safe for the consumer to eat. Would you kind of compare yourself to like a Stephen King type? You just really love that horror stuff, that nightmarish stuff? Yes, yeah. There's, you know, everybody likes a good scare. They may say up front that they don't, but everybody does. Because once that fear is gone and they realize that there was really nothing to be afraid about, that rush of adrenaline that has gone through their, pod, their body becomes euphoric and they get a good laugh out of it. Now, why do you keep doing this year after year? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a big commitment, but it's like a drug. It really is. Um, you know, and I've had the fortunate, I've been very fortunate that uh, part of the success that Deadly Fantasies is, is because of the, the people that come and help volunteer their time to help do the scares. And they say the same thing. It's like a drug. They come back year after year to help scare people and uh, to, to, to get the reactions that we get out of people when they come through. Some of them are priceless. It really is. So it's, it's like a drug. You know, the person who was involved with the bet, do they still come by and, and check all this out? Are they participating? Oh, yeah. yeah. She lives right across the street. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. She comes every year. She gets terrified because it's gotten a lot scarier since that first initial year. All right, I think we're gonna take a look at the backyard and see uh, how you set this up a little bit. Sounds great. We're going to uh, head out to uh, the entrance of the haunt and then walk you through what I've built. From the front of Michael's house, you can't see much. It looks like your average suburban home with a few low-key Halloween decorations. Yeah, I don't do too much on the outside. The few things I did have, I had to take down right now because of the nor'easter that's coming tomorrow. But by the time Halloween comes, there will be some decorations out and there will actually be in this area, I'm going to set up a coffin and there will be a vampire with the coffin as a photo op for anybody who wants to take their picture with the vampire before they go through the haunt. 
He leads us to the side of the yard, where we walk into a shed covered with black plastic tarps. This is the entrance. As you can see, it's uh, the walls are designed to kind of look like a dungeon sort of area. We're going to have a special effects. I don't want to give too much information away. A special effects thing right here who will be introducing all the guests to the haunt. And then once that's done, they will make their way inside the haunt. I imagine at night it's going to be like pitch black in this room. So it's kind of a cool entrance way just as you come in and it hooks right up to the gate. So, And here you go. The gate leads to the backyard where we can see more of those small sheds covered in black tarps. And inside each building, there are certain scenes that uh, we've created. So the, the people will be walking down this path. There may or may not be some things that jump out at night as they cross this area. And then you'll come upon the crypt. This is creepy. <laughs> this is like something you would legit like come into your like demonic nightmare. <laughs> so what you see here is uh, a, a scene that will have uh, bones and skulls. And then, you know, you have your body laying in the crypt. And there may or may not be a couple of other things that might pop out at you. <laughs> and then they'll come to this room over here. Now this is kind of dark, but as you can see, uh, mounted on the walls, these are lasers. Because this is a new attraction this year. This room will be filled with fog, and this creates a, a swamp-like effect that you're walking to a, a swamp uh, from one end of the room to the other. Oh, man. <laughs> so this is the what we like to call the meat room. So as you can see, the mad doctor is eviscerating his patients and then hanging his intestines from the ceiling. Michael walks us through some more sheds with different themes. A kitchen in a rundown house, a church for a spooky cult, and then we're back outside. There are a few more scenes in the yard, but Michael's taking them down for now. Again, we have this, this windstorm coming through, 40, 50 mile an hour winds. So I just, you know, with all the money that's put into the props, I don't need them getting damaged. The scene had to come down, and then the cemetery is over here, which I had to take down as of right now, but will be up. And then they will exit out that gate and uh, be on their merry way. I think this is going to be pretty awesome. I mean, even during the day, it's scary. <laughs> so I think, I think people are really going to enjoy this. It's just, uh, it's nice that, that you get a chance to do this. And, uh, you know, you put, obviously put a lot of thought into it. I spend months thinking about how I want to arrange things and what kind of scenery I want to do to make it new. And then the time that it takes to actually create that new scene takes quite a bit of time. Now tell me a little bit about uh, what it's like for kids who come to this event. Okay, so for little kids, it, what I would do is I would ask the parent if they want me to tone things down or if they want the full boat. Now you'd be surprised about how many parents want the full boat because they're the ones who really want the scares for the kids. I feel bad because the kids go screaming out the end. But for little kids who don't want to be too scared, we give them little magical wands that uh, is really just a glow stick that they can wave in front of them. So the monsters, when they see it, know that the magic wand prevents them from scaring little kids and they can just walk through and see what we've done 
without having the fear of being too scared. Can you give us details on uh, what time this starts on Halloween? Yeah, sure. So again, we're open Halloween night only, uh, weather permitting. If it's really, really bad raining, we're, we're not going to be open. But from 6.30 to 9, you can check us also out on uh, my website, deadlyfantasies.com. Now, do you have any advice on people who are coming out here? Should they carpool? or If they carpool, they're probably better off if they have kids to park not on the cul-de-sac where we're at, maybe down the street, walk around the neighborhood, because a lot of people give really good candy around here, and then come down and uh, visit. Because the more you come up this way, the more and more congested it gets. So if you're coming with kids to trick-or-treat, park down further down the neighborhood, get your candy full, and then come down and get a good scare. All right. Well, Michael, thank you for, uh, for having us out here today, and I hope everybody has fun at your, uh, your Halloween haunt. Well, I appreciate you guys coming out and uh, taking the time to take a look at what we created. And I hope everybody comes out and comes just have a good time and enjoy uh, the fruits of my label. Thanks to my colleague Carlos Munoz for taking us on that scary adventure. If you can't get enough of spooky stories, Carlos has another interview with an expert who thinks Rhode Island is the Transylvania of America. You can find that article in Globe Rhode Island. Here are a few other stories to check out this week. In one legislative district in Rhode Island, 15% of the population is behind bars. That's because the U.S. Census Bureau counts inmates at the prisons in Cranston instead of at their home addresses. I report on why some advocates say this practice needs to stop. The homelessness crisis in Rhode Island is worse than it's ever been. That's what advocates are telling my colleague Brian Amaral. Demand for services is up, but the supply hasn't risen fast enough, and winter will only increase these problems. Find these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. Got a tip? Have someone you think we should talk to? We'd love to hear your ideas. Send us an email at rinews at globe.com. And if you like the show, do us a favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.